Thank you, Carolyn. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning. Um, I have uh, I have a new name now, grandfather, and um, so yes, yes. Um, Mike and Megan had um, their baby girl, Malia Carmen, on Thursday. Interesting thing is, is that the due date was the 25th, and she came on the 25th, and um, that hardly ever happens, and so we're super, super excited. Um, she is a distraction for me right now, and uh, as they continue to send pictures, and is she walking yet? Is she talking? And so... <laughs> So uh, we're, we're super, super excited. Thank you all for um, your encouragement and uh, all of that. that it's just been uh, a great journey watching, um, watching your child become a parent. And, um, and now I want to see how he handles it. So, uh, but, uh, but good. Thank you. So uh, one of the questions that, um, that I've been asking myself is does, does Jesus make a difference in our lives? That does he, does he make a difference? Does he, when I get ready to make a decision, does he make a difference? And I, you know, I, when, I, when I find myself being impatient for the 150th time or the thousandth time, ask myself, does he really make a difference in my life? Does he make a difference in the decisions that I make? Does he make a decision in the way that I treat my wife or my children or the way I spend my money? Does he make a difference? Does he make a difference in the way I drive? Does he, does he really make a difference? Or is he kind of a tack-on for me? This, these are the questions that I'm asking my, myself. Um, you know, when I, when I think certain thoughts, does he really, really make a difference in my life? Is my life different today than it was when I first became a believer? Um, when I look at my neighbors and I look at me, are we the same or is my life different than theirs? Does he really make a difference? And I know if I'm asking a question, I'm quite sure you probably have asked the question as well. And, and if you're anything like me, you're probably asking the question as well. Does he really make a difference in my life? Does he make a difference in our lives? When we get ready to buy something, does he make a difference? Does when we get ready to get married, does he make a difference? Uh, in my singleness, if you're single, does he make a difference? And does he make a difference in what I watch and what I think? And th does he make a difference in how I, how I live my life? This is a significant question. This is a question that's kind of kept me up at night because, man, I, I, I think we ought to be different. I think I ought to be different. I think we together should be different in our world. Some days I feel like, I feel like, um, like I'm in Van Gogh's um, Starry Night. This is where we began, right? We began with Van Gogh's Starry Night. When we talked about the book of Titus, um, we, we talked about Van Gogh's painting. And when Van Gogh painted Starry Night, he was actually in a mental hospital. And his condition reflects his painting. 
So you see this painting is relatively dark with some points of light. The yellows, Van Gogh was in love with yellows because yellow represented hope. And, and yet we see here that there are some yellow in this painting that represented hope for him. And, and there's this sense where, where I, I feel uh, the, the big swirls that you see represents chaos and turbulence, which represented the chaos and turbulence in his life. But not only in his life, but also the turbulence and chaos in the world that he saw. And, and so some days I feel like this. I feel like I'm in starry, the, uh, Van Gogh's Starry Night, and I wonder if, if the yellow makes a difference. Now, if you notice down in the, in, in the village, you see a church that there should be lights on in the church. There should be hope there. There should be light there. There should be a sense of, yes, that, that is, is lighting up the village. But if you notice, the, the church is dark and it's grayed out. And I think Van Gogh is actually trying to say something that I wonder that, that it feels like even the light of Christ has been snuffed out and all we have to do is look around at some churches. We look around at some individuals who claim to be followers of Jesus. And it's like, man, does your life look different than anybody else's life? And I'm, I'm saying that about myself as well. The, the, way, the, way we, the way I interact, the way we interact on social media, it should be different than the way everybody else does. And so, so I, I'm asking this question. I know if I'm asking this question, I know you're probably asking this question as well. And I, I would say that there are some young people who are raised in the church. You would ask them, and they would say, I don't, I don't know if Jesus really makes that much of a difference the way we present him. Does he really make a difference? He should, but does he really make a difference. When we look at our world, it's filled with chaos. It's filled with turbulence, whether it's domestic violence or whether it's sexual abuse or whether it is uh, other kinds of abuses, uh, active shooters. And literally, it just feels like, does he really make a difference? And then we look at the church, we look at religious leaders, the fall of religious leaders, and we say, man, I, 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 that, that just, that frustrates me, it discourages me, and it, it, it breaks me, it saddens me, asking the question, does he really, really make a difference? That's part of the reason we did this series. That's, we did this series to, to, to kind of raise up, at least help us to raise our thinking as it relates to who we are as followers of Jesus. So Paul writes this letter to this young pastor by the name of Titus. And Titus is in a very, very difficult situation, or at least he's in a, um, it's kind of a difficult situation for him. He is, a, he is a, a Greek convert. Paul led him to Jesus. And then Paul says, hey, I'm leaving you in Crete, on the island of Crete, and I want you to establish this church. I want you to lead this church. I want you to actually help these individuals to live for Jesus. Now, the problem uh, that, that Titus ran into, which, which made it difficult for him as a young pastor, is that he was living in a morally decadent culture. 
He was living in a culture that, 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 the, that the way they lived and the way they talked, the way they did marriage and the way they did alcohol, the way they did life, it was way different than Christians would do it. And yet, yet Titus was to actually pastor in this culture. He was to actually lead a church. He was to lead uh, uh, Christians in this culture to be different. And it was a very difficult um, task for him. Now, now listen to some of, this is one of the verses. This is uh, Titus chapter 1, verse 12. And this, this verse sums up the culture of Crete. Listen to what it says. It says, one of the Cretans, um, a prophet of their own, Paul didn't judge them. He actually went to one of their prophets, one of their uh, one, of their, in the, one of the individuals who was a Cretan and said, Cretans are always liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons. This is just a um, kind of a snippet of what the culture was. Now, some philosophers give a little bit more color to, um, to what this philosopher says. Cicero, one of the philosophers, says this. Moral principles are so divergent in Crete that the Cretans consider highway robbery honorable. So they consider robbing someone on the highway honorable. Here's another, Polybius, this is what he says about Crete. Almost impossible to find personal conduct more treacherous or public policy more unjust than in Crete. So, this was a very, very difficult place to pastor. Sounds a lot like our culture. Sounds like a lot like where we live. And I can tell you, it's very, very difficult pastoring in the culture that we're in now. It's very, very difficult. It's very difficult to invite people to be disciples of Jesus in a culture that is so, that makes us so distractible. It's very, very difficult to lead people to have a hunger for God, a hunger for Jesus, to fall in love with Jesus, to be revived and renewed by Jesus in our present culture. It is very, I know if it's very difficult to pastor, it's very difficult to parent. It's very difficult to be married. It's very difficult to be single. It's very difficult to be a child. It's very difficult to be a teenager. It's very difficult to be a young adult in the culture in which we live. We are in Crete. And just like it was difficult for Titus, I think it's difficult for us. And yet there is hope. There is hope, and yet where there is chaos, God brings the calm. And one of the ways he does it, it's found in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. So turn to Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. This is what it says. This is, in all of the darkness, in all of the um, the moral decadence that was found in Crete, Paul reminded Titus of what happened. Paul reminded Titus, and I'm here to remind us, how God pierced the darkness, how God pierced the, um, the chaos and the turbulence. 
Verse 4, it says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So that being justified, that is made right with God by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, that's a lot of words. Let me try to briefly explain um, and just do kind of a run-in commentary. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. That word appeared is epiphany, showed up, eureka moment, and the kindness and goodness of God was Jesus. Showing up in Bethlehem as a baby. So that was the appearing of the goodness of God. Jesus is the goodness and the kindness of God. And Jesus came, and here it is, the text says, and he saved us. What did he save us from? He saved us from sin. He saved us from hell. He saved us from being eternally separated from God. So Jesus came, and he lived a perfect life, and he died a horrible death on the cross. They placed him in in a tomb, and on the third day, he rose again from the dead. And through that event, that historical event in time, God, through Jesus, saved us. He saved us. We were separated from God. We were, we were not good people. We, were, we, were, we, were, we occasionally did good people. We were fundamentally bad people who occasionally did good things. And God says, I love you so much, you were separated from me because of the sin that Adam and Eve committed in the garden. And through Jesus Christ... God saved us. He extended the invitation for salvation. In other words, he extended the invitation for you and I to be actually brought back into relationship with our heavenly father. So he says, Jesus appeared, and in that appearing, he saved us. It was totally Jesus' work on the cross that did it. Listen to this next part. It was not because of works done by us in righteousness. I want to, if you don't hear me say anything else today, if you don't hear me say anything else today, I want you to hear me say this, is that if when, when we look at our lives, what salvation is, what it means to be connected to God or have a relationship with God, It is not based on anything that we do. It's not based on going to church. It's not based on being a good person. It's not based on giving giving to charity. It is solely the work of Jesus on the cross. 
So if God were to ask you, why should I let you, once you die, and he asks you, why should I let you into my heaven? And I hear some of you right now, why should I let you into my heaven? And that's a, that's a big question, right? And he asks, why should I let you into my heaven? And, and he was like, like well, I, like I, I did a lot of good stuff. I had a conversation with someone a few days ago, and it was like, like why should God let you into heaven? Well, I'm, I'm I, you know, I'm, I, I, I've, I did all the right things. At least I tried to. And, and God will certainly understand that I tried to do the right things. So, so again, here's the question. Why should I let you into my heaven? You get to the end of your life, and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? And you said, well, I went to Trinity Church. Trinity Church, God, was the best church in town. Now, I'm saying we're a good church, but, like, that is not going to be a hall pass for you. It's not going to be a hall pass. Like, like, why should I let you into my heaven? Well, I gave to charity. I gave to a lot of charities, God. No, that's, that's not enough. Why, why should I let you into my heaven? It's like, like I, 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 I thought I was a pretty good person. Didn't kill anybody, didn't murder. I was faithful to my spouse. I went to work. I, like, I was a pretty good person. God says, not enough. Why should I let you into my heaven? Your answer and my answer, the only answer that opens the door, the only answer that opens the door is that I trusted Jesus as my Savior. He took my sins away. I submitted my life to him. He is my Savior, my Lord, my King. That is the reason I trusted his death to make me right with you. I trusted his resurrection, and God will say, that's it. That is the only reason I will let you into heaven. It's because of what my son did. Please hear me. If you don't hear anything else, the reason why this is so important, hear me, the reason why this is so important is because if I do enough works to get into heaven, then I get the credit for getting into heaven. But if Jesus is the one that gets me into heaven, God gets all the credit and he gets all of the glory for you and me being in heaven. So, so when Paul reminds, Paul says, hey, remind the people in Crete that it was God who did the saving, not their works. It was according to his mercy God had mercy on us. We are recipients of his mercy. That apart from Jesus, we were on our way to hell. Apart from Jesus, we were on our way to a Christless eternity. Apart from Jesus, we would experience the wrath of God. And Jesus steps in on the cross, and he takes all of the holy God's wrath on himself. Why? So that you and I might have a relationship with God. It was because of his mercy. And then 
by the washing of regeneration of the renewal of the Holy Spirit. We talked about Ben and the team talked about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is important in our coming to Christ. Well, what role does he play? Well, you and I were separated from God. We were over here. We weren't thinking about God. We were getting in the club, getting tipsy, all that kind of stuff. So it was like, like it's like we're not thinking about God. We're not thinking about God. God is over here. He is wooing us. He is saying, come, I love you. I care about you. We're over here doing our own thing. And then all of a sudden, we are, see, we're blind to God. In fact, we are dead to the overtures of God. We don't hear him. We don't respond to him. And then all of a sudden, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, uh, whether it is a vacation Bible school or somebody says, hey, Jesus has changed my life. And they said, well, I, I noticed that you, you're totally different than you were in college. And I, totally, I, I noticed you're totally different. The way you do marriage, the way you do life, is totally different than the way I do it. And, and I've been meaning to ask you about that. And, and you, they, now that person, whoever it is, shares the gospel with them. And in that moment... The Holy Spirit opens the person's eyes, opens a person's heart and says, whoa, you mean to tell me that there's a God in heaven that loves me, that has a plan for me, that is, is actually is wooing me? And he says, like, whoa, yes, there is a God. And then you begin to sense that, yeah, God loves you. And they say, well, what, what do I have to do to connect with this God? And so, well, well, just simply, tr- like, like, like. This, there's this guy named Jesus who died. He's really not just a guy. He was both 100% God and 100% human. He actually died for us. You mean to tell me he died for me? You mean to tell me all of the stuff that I did, he died for it? Absolutely. All the stuff that I did last summer too? Some of you will catch that. Yeah, he died for that too. So what do you, well, you have to surrender to him. And then what the Holy Spirit does, the Holy Spirit awakens us. And guess what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit actually turns us around and we start walking toward God. We start walking toward God. The Holy Spirit actually, he regenes us. He gives us new values. He gives us a new way to look at life. Holy Spirit does that. And then he gives us power to live the life that God has given us through his son. This is, we're embraced by grace in this moment. We're embraced by his mercy. And he invites us to embrace his grace and invite us to embrace his mercy. I think a good picture of this is Van Gogh's other painting, and we talked about this, The Raising of Lazarus. The Raising of Lazarus, if you look at this painting, it actually shows um, a lot more yellow Van Gogh was in love with yellow. And this references the raising of Lazarus from the dead in John chapter 11. And you and I were just as dead as Lazarus. And God in his mercy, God in his grace, God in his love, he raised us again. So this is after Van Gogh was actually um, getting past his dark moment. This is when he began to feel hope again. He began to actually feel the hope of God over his life again. It almost was a resurrection for for Van Gogh. And so, in, in feeling the hopefulness, he painted hopefulness. 
what was happening in his life made a difference in his painting. And so there's this sense where there is a hopefulness, a life-giving transformation that happened to him. So you and I were separated from God. Jesus came and rescued us and saved us, had mercy on us. And then Titus 1 actually helps us to understand what life should look like as we walk with God. Titus 1, chapter, chapter, uh, verse 1, chapter 1, it says, Paul, a servant of God and, a, and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness. There are three words that I want to highlight here which, which you and I go through all the time. And that is, particularly as followers of Jesus, the first thing is that you either read the Bible, you come here, you gain knowledge. You find out something new, something, a reminder about the way you and I, uh, who we are as followers of Jesus, our identity, who we are, how we should live. When you read your Bible, you you have a Bible study, you meet in your small group, you and I are reminded we are gaining knowledge about what God thinks about certain things. And you and I are going to decide whether that is true. Or, I mean, we don't, we don't get to decide that God decides it, but, but we are resistant to change. And, and we say, okay, I got the knowledge. I, I now think that it's true because I, I believe that it's true. And now if it is really true, we now have to take one more step, which we hardly do. I know in my life it's hard for me to do it as well is now I have the knowledge, I know that it's true, now I need to apply it to my life. It actually has to show up in the way I live. All right, so this is what we did. We say, okay, here's the knowledge about marriage. We did a message on that. Here's the knowledge about alcohol. We did a message on that. Here's the knowledge about human sexuality. Here's the knowledge on that oh, okay, I, I, I believe that is actually true for the believer in Jesus. Now, if you have the knowledge, you believe it's true, now the next step is how then, like, will I now apply it to my life? Here's, we are addicted, we are addicted to ideation and planning. We are very allergic to implementation. I know I am. I am addicted to planning. I love lists. Oh, that's true. Oh, that's true. That's true. Oh, oh, yeah, that's true. But when it comes to actually implementing it, for some reason, I get allergies, you get allergies, when it comes to actually implementing it. So where have we been? Where have we been over the last year? This is where we've been. We've been in a lot of different places. We talked about anger. We talked about leaders. We talked about greed. We talked about um, false teaching. We've talked about integrity and blamelessness. We've talked about marriage, hospitality, humility, self-control, um, family. We talk, we've talked about money. We've talked about a lot of stuff. And then we said, okay, we, we want to do something on doctrine that is healthy teaching. So we talked about creation, we talked about fall, we talked about big words, redemption, we talked about savior, we talked about um, 
Savior, uh, Savior Messiah. We talked about this idea of the spirit, uh, crucifixion. We talked about resurrection. We talked about the spirit. We talked about the church. We talked about the second coming of Jesus to help us understand how to live in our world. And so, the question that I ask, it's like we, we talked about, like, like, what does it look like to have a different marriage? What does it look like to think about alcohol differently? What does it look like as a Christian? What, do we look, what does it look like for us if we're to live our lives differently? Here is the one thought that I take from all that we've done in the course of a year. I try to boil it down to one statement, and here it is is if Christ, if Jesus Christ makes a difference, then we should be different. If Jesus Christ really does make a difference, and I believe he does, then we should be different. I mean, we should be different in the way than everybody else in the world. We should be different the way we make decisions. We should be different the way we treat one another. We should handle race differently than the world handles it. We should handle um, mental illness the, different than the way the world handles it. We, we, we should handle work differently than the way the world handles it. And many of you are already doing that. But this is just a reminder that if he makes a difference, then we ought to be different. The way we talk the way we love. If you are single, 